Welcome to Sustainable Horizons, where we take a deep dive into various sustainability topics and then talk with industry professionals who are working to solve those exact problems. We're your hosts, Taylor and Logan. Now let's learn how to face the future. Hey, Christy, thanks for joining us. Hello. Hey, everyone. Happy to be here. Our guest today is Christy Drutman, otherwise known as Brown Girl Green. She is a speaker, a consultant, media producer, and environmental educator who is passionate about working at the intersections between media, diversity, and environmentalism. I guess my first question right off the bat is Brown Girl Green is kind of famous in the sustainability environmental world. So kind of what's the superhero origin story behind that name? Yeah, I mean, a big part of it was that I just didn't see great representation of people of color in leadership positions or in the mainstream media talking about climate change. And I felt like that needed a shift and I felt like there needed to be a platform that felt bolder and interesting to be able to really like, you know, capture people's attention, make them intrigued about, you know, the intersections of like the passions I hold as well as my cultural identity. And yeah, I remember it was just like one day over a summer in university and I literally, the the story of the name, I just like looked at my hand and I looked at a leaf and I just came up with it. It It's just very simple but straightforward and it was crazy because I thought you know maybe someone else would have thought of it because I just felt very straightforward but (laughs) no one had at the time and I think it's meant to be was that beautiful simplicity yet complexity at the same time that made me really excited about it so yeah oh yeah so where did you go to college I went to UC Berkeley in the Bay Area in California nice what'd you get a major in I double majored in environmental policy and city planning. That's what I got my dual degree in. And I had a minor in global poverty and practice. So I studied lots of things when I was in university. Very interdisciplinary. I love it. Yeah. I really wanted to learn all the facets of all the things. (laughs) So what was your experience like getting jobs out of college? Um... It was, it was rough. It was, you know, I felt like I tried everything in my power. Like when I was an undergrad, I remember people telling me like, it's going to be rough for you to try to get a job with an environmental degree. Like people told me that straight up. They're like, you're not going to get a good paying job. You're going to struggle. And I remember knowing that my freshman year of college and as someone who grew up with just like a mom who sacrificed a lot and all these things coming in at from an immigrant household, like I felt this pressure already by my freshman year of college that I was like, I need to figure out how I'm going to get a job by the end of this. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure when you're just trying to like be a young person and like enjoy school and all these things, which I did too. But there's always this underlying fear of like, yeah, what am I going to do at the end of it? I know some people wait until the end of college to figure that out but I was trying to figure that out the whole time during university so like I was trying to do like any internship program I was like joining so many clubs I was trying to meet as many people I was like on the network grind from the time I was like 18 or 19 years old and it's interesting because a lot of that was me trying to figure out what I wanted (laughs) and by the time I finished university though even with all of that I still was like wait what am I gonna do 
but luckily I had set myself up in a good position to kind of start figuring out some of those bits because I realized I wanted to do a job in media and communications and somewhat of journalism by the end of university. At the beginning, I wanted to become a lawyer, and by the end, I wanted to become a journalist um, <laughs> and do some sort of media position. But at that time, you know, even a couple of years ago, there were a lot of jobs to do a lot of media and communications in the environmental or climate space. Like, that wasn't really a thing. Like, you would have maybe a dedicated comms person, but it was very traditional comms, things like that. But, like, I wanted to do, like, media and social media and digital strategizing, and there was couldn't find jobs like that. And so I was like, what am I going to do? And so, yeah, like when I was graduating, I really had to figure out how I was going to start collaging a, a career path for myself. And so I got into the world of digital organizing through the nonprofit space. And so I did a lot of like working with nonprofits to do like digital marketing and digital strategy to support campaigns and to support, you know, mobilizations and petitions and getting people to sign things. So I, I learned a lot about that space and then I got laid off from that job and that was my first job out of college so it's crazy like my after graduating that was like the world I answered into and then I got laid off and then I was like oh what am I gonna do but the thing was is like like I said I spent all those years in university and like when I was finishing starting to build brown girl green that all of those experiences allowed me to build my own job which is what I do now full time. So that's why I brought up all of that because I got laid off, but then I like posted on LinkedIn and was like, hey, I got laid off, I'm trying to find a job, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, just through all those networks after so many years I had built, like I got two jobs. Nice. I got offered many jobs, which was interesting. And I got offered to teach at UC Berkeley, which I did oh, wow. for two years. Because of the work that I had built with my own initiative with Brown Girl Green, I got to teach as an assistant lecturer at the Haas School of Business a class on social media and social change. And so I got to actually, like, you know, very, like, not that pretty fresh out of undergrad. I was teaching back at the place I just had learned at mm -hmm. about the, the entrepreneurship journey that I built for myself. And then, yeah, I kept following that thread of just, like, building my own job in the space. And started consulting, you know, different companies on digital media strategy, started producing more of my own stuff. And yeah, Brown Girl Green kind of warped into this crazy movement and space for myself. And then, yeah, it became my full-time job. So that's the honest truth of what my undergrad to post-grad experience was. It was wow. rough. Like, yeah. I couldn't... I couldn't I couldn't find a job, so I built my own. That's cool. Very nice. That's literally where it was. So what what year did you graduate college? I graduated in 2017. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like that's kind of been the the story with the environmental world is that like it is rapidly growing. But even as of, you know, five, six years ago, there were not a lot of job opportunities. And they're still not today. Like it's it's definitely growing, but I my big struggle so I graduated 2020. I, my struggle was there were job postings, but they were geared for, it'd be like entry level with five years experience in finance. And right. like, it, it's like they wanted experience, but like 
with an interest in sustainability. So they're geared towards like, yeah. quote unquote, real adults who like wanted to get into that. So you'd mentioned just, you know, how you got into creating the platform. So how did you get to this point where you've created such a widespread audience? Because you're on Instagram, TikTok, you have a podcast, you have the Green Jobs Board, which I do want to hit on in more detail a little later on. <laughs> like, so what went into that creating like, all these different kinds of media and also maybe talk about the entrepreneurship that goes into it, like you mentioned. You know, it was just a gradual expansion over time. It was very much like, uh, you know, I started off as a podcast and then the podcast kind of died off later on and now it's come back, which is so funny. But yeah, <laughs> this all started as a podcast and a lot of people just like really liked what I was sharing on the podcast because there wasn't a lot of environmental podcasts back when I was getting started back then either. Yeah, I think for me, it was just mostly seeing what stuck and wanting to like make sure I was kind of hitting all different types of verticals to get my voice out there. And just like from a strategy, there's like so many different target audiences on different platforms. And so right now, like my main platforms are, you know, Instagram, TikTok and LinkedIn. And people are always like LinkedIn. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a LinkedIn girly. I love LinkedIn. Mostly because for me, like I told you in this earlier part of the story, like such a critical part of me kind of creating that collage of understanding how to build a life I really wanted to do work on the climate crisis. Like I used LinkedIn as a major resource to start putting together the, the puzzle pieces, right? And so I would say for me, I always view things as phases. Like, like I said, like, I didn't know if Brown Girl Green was going to be able to become my full-time job. But then once the opportunity presented itself to me that it could be, I just went all in. I took risks. I, I, I really wanted to do Brown Girl Green as my full-time job, even when I graduated university. So even though I didn't have all the following I have now, didn't have any of the resources, even at the age I was and the, the space I was in, I knew it was going to like be my what I was doing. I just, it just felt very clear, even though I had no idea what that was going to look like. And that's a big part of having passion, right? You have to you have to believe in something and you have to stand for something. You have to go for it if that's like what you really want. And you have to see what happens. At the same time, there is a lot of things that I was very lucky and it was right place, right time. But I set myself up for that at the same time, right? I would say it was partially grinding and partially just really being in the right place at the right time and it just working out really nice. So I would say both of those things in my entrepreneurial journey, it was like risk, being really adamant about just going for it and also asking for help because there was a lot of knowledge gaps that I didn't have and I still don't have that I'm still figuring out for sure. Yeah, I feel like in the entrepreneurial space, I like to say it's like you're creating opportunity or surface area for opportunity by just getting yourself out there. Like all that hard work and networking and all those things are super important because not everybody's going to be your key solution. So you have to make sure that you're hitting everybody all the way. That way, when the right time, right opportunity, that luck comes along, it's like you didn't see the 50 other people I talked to beforehand, you know? And so yeah, it may feel like, like luck sometimes to other people from the outside, but you're like, I put in the work to make that luck fall on my lap kind of deal. To quote Pitbull. I can't remember the lyric now. Pitbull. <laughs> Pitbull uh, <laughs> no, I can't remember it. 
Shoot, it was something like funny. The the like the harder I work, the luckier I get. Something like that. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay. Hey, Pitbull drops words of wisdom all the time. <laughs> he definitely does. Yeah, Mister Worldwide. Oh, Mister yeah. Worldwide. <laughs> uh, so, so you'd mentioned that there's kind of opportunities started presenting themselves. I feel like when you go from this transition to you're kind of new, starting out to okay, this is my full time job. There is that kind of awkward middle ground of, hey, I'm not making enough money or this isn't there isn't actually enough opportunity right now. What was that kind of middle space like? I mean, a lot of it was having to plan things out, right? Like I made sacrifices again. Like I knew also I wanted to move to the East Coast. So like I said, I set goals for I lived in the Bay Area for a long time and I, I knew out of college I need to set a lot of goals for myself to try to get there. And I knew I would need to sacrifice some things. And so literally when I graduated, even though I made a pretty decent salary, I shared a room. I shared a room in the Bay Area Classic. to save money on rent. Oh, and not just in an apartment, a room. A room in my apartment. Like I literally <laughs> like twin, twin bed it. Like I slept in a twin bed in a shared room. And I did that for two years, even during the pandemic. Like crazy. Oh, geez. How well did yeah. you know this person before? I knew person really well and then after that I oh no there's multiple there was multiple because it was the bay area and people were like you know people were struggling rent was so expensive or it still is so expensive and but i remember at that time i was like this really sucks but i know i need to do this and it, i knew i needed a cushion because i knew if i was gonna ever quit my job or if this was gonna ever become my full-time job and god forbid something dried up i needed to have something and that's like coming from maybe my own Asian family and like being really frugal but like that's just how I've how I was raised and how I grew up I always knew I needed to have like some sort of backup plan because I, my family you know I don't come from intergenerational wealth like I don't have you know I can't just like okay something to fall back on yeah, yeah. I can't just be like let me borrow twenty thousand dollars if like this all goes to crap you know what I mean and so I had to, I had to set it up that way so I made sacrifices but now it's like great because it's like I did all that and now like I love the way that I live my life now. You know, knock on wood, I don't have to really worry as much about some of those things I used to worry about when I was younger financially and things like that. And, you know, it all kind of worked out. But I, I, put, I, again, set myself up maybe again to that surface area space where it's like if I didn't know what was happening, I had to do a cost-benefit analysis analysis on what would be worth it and like there was sometimes like I I did have the privilege that like I could do unpaid internships because my my mom helped me out with that right my parents helped me with that I didn't have to work five jobs but that is not the case for so many young people so many young people do have to like pay their bills they can't afford unpaid internships you know I was really lucky right but again my mom had to sacrifice so much for her own mental sanity to allow me to do that, right? So someone has to sacrifice something in some way in order to, in some ways, have the time and the space to take a job or take a position that doesn't pay as well to get you to where you want to go. And maybe in Hollywood or some of these things, industries that are a bit more glamorous, you're like, it's glamorized that you have to go through that, right? But if you're doing things like environmental protection, and you're like, I actually don't know what the roadmap is. I'm not going to become 
Brad Pitt of the environmental movement. Hey, hey, don't sell yourself short. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if there is anyone who's the Brad Pitt of the environmental movement, I would say it's you. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying for anyone listening, listening, like, you don't know if the payoff's going to be the same, right? Maybe it's also like that in Hollywood, I don't know. But like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, in this work, it can feel very like, what am I, you know, of course you're getting What is that. the next step? What is the next step? Like, yeah. how am I growing? How will this actually progress? Will I be able to like, you know, do the things I want to do later on in life on this kind of salary or this kind of structure of an organization? Those are all really valid questions. And I know we're going to talk about Green Jobs Board, but that's a big reason why I got really excited about creating that as well to start really opening up that can of worms if we're really going to talk about getting more people to care about climate change. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's a perfect segue. So, you know, want to tell us about the Green Jobs Board. Set I've used up. it myself. Um, <laughs> I know we, we talked with Green Sport Alliance. They're starting to push that. You know, it's pretty famous again in the environmental world. So why don't you go ahead, talk about what went into creating that and ins and outs. Like I brought up earlier in this episode, you know, I feel like this episode has been so set up nicely because like it also has kind of <laughs> put the puzzle pieces together, right? But I would say like, you know, earlier in the episode, I talked about like my struggles of getting a job in this space, obviously, and how I've, you know, how I had to navigate that. And I was like, I don't want other people to have to do this. <laughs> I was like, no one should have to like full on, you know, I think in general, people have to collage their careers together to find a good fit. That's like universal. But I think for me, it felt exceptionally hard to like try to find a job in climate. And I just realized I wanted to make that a lot easier for people. And so it honestly started as a social media post on Brown Girl Green literally around this time two years ago, which is really crazy to think about. Ooh, crazy. Happy anniversary. I know, yeah. I think our first post was like the first week of August or something. So it's coming coming around. Yeah, I remember just being like, you know what? I'm going to just make a content series where I'm finding jobs that I find interesting on the internet that I think pay well and are cool. And I'm just going to start posting it. I had not seen any content like that at all. Like, I, and there wasn't, there just wasn't any content that ever existed like that in that way. And so I just started posting jobs I would find and I really had no expectations. It was just going to be a content series that I thought, you know, could add on to my slew of content series. And it blew up. It was getting hundreds of shares thousands of people engaging with it i was like what the heck wow <laughs> i did not expect to get that much buzz from something as simple as just finding positions and so basically i just started as a weekly series and then eventually organizations were like oh like can we post on that like how do, how do we submit a job there and i was like wait what like i just find them <laughs> so then i made a google form people started submitting jobs then I started actually putting real jobs people were submitting to me on this job posting, so not just ones I was finding on the internet. And then all of a sudden, I remember even within 2021, someone told me for the first time, they're like, hey, I got hired through your Instagram post. That's oh, so cool. No and I was like, wait, what? That is really cool. And I remember being like, what the heck? And then basically people were like, is this an actual like organization and company? And I was like, 
this is just a social media post. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then people are like, oh, can, they're like, why doesn't it have this? And why does it have that? I'm like, yo, like, I thought this was just an Instagram series. What the heck? And so then me and my, my best friend who actually was a part of doing a lot of the design and branding for Brown Girl Green, we're like, what if we just soft launched it as an Instagram page and just see what happens? So March of last year, we just soft launched it as an Instagram page. And within the first week, we had 2,000 followers. Wow. Insane. Yeah, and within the first month, we had about 30 companies and organizations post with us. That's crazy. Good for you guys. Yeah, and it was just crazy to the point where we just started putting more and more things. And people were like, oh, like, we want this and we want that feature. We want filters and we want this. And we're like, um... Uh, we thought we were just an Instagram page. So yeah. first it was like, we're just an Instagram post. Then we're like, we're just an Instagram page. And then we're like, should we become a company? Question mark. And then we're <laughs> like, yeah, I guess show us. Why not? Because then at that point, like, organizations were like giving us tons of jobs and people were like, create the infrastructure. So literally like seven months ago, we became a company. That's crazy. Yeah, and now we are a full-fledged company with a team of seven. We all work part-time because it's a startup. Yeah, and now we're going to, like, we're going to be growing pretty big. And we just, we are launching our official website because we didn't even have, like, a really official website this whole time of all of this. And now we officially launched it this summer. And so it'll be out to the public very soon. And it has filters it has filters by lo- location, remote job, position, all these things. And it's a beta release, right? So it's just the very bare bones version one. But super proud of what it looks like and what my team has done to create it. And it's just crazy. It went from an Instagram post to now a pretty big movement now of a lot of people now talking about green jobs and climate jobs that they weren't really talking about even a year ago or two years ago. And it's just really exciting to be at the forefront of those conversations so yeah that's the story congratulations yeah that's really impressive so do companies like pay you to for you to post their jobs yeah currently that's 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 what's been going on that's sweet <laughs> are there any sort of filters on your end of like deciding what jobs to post and what jobs to not or kind of how do you decide that you know it's interesting because that's gonna continue to be a journey but in even the first couple of months, we've had a couple of fossil fuel companies try to post with us, and we've been like, bye. So those have been very obvious. I think there's been other organizations where it's been a bit more murky, where like different people have different views on how a company operates, right? Because there's been even really sustainable companies or ones that you would think are like, you know, check all the boxes on that but maybe they don't pay well, right? And people are like, we don't like that, right? And But at the same time, it's like, it, it's difficult, right? That's where we get into the tricky areas of like, what is okay versus what's not. And our whole thing is that we're not trying to like 100% fix the problem, right? We're just trying to provide a space for transparency and for those conversations. Like there hasn't really been a space to maybe see a job like that or an organization and be like, hey, we don't like that. And that's the point. We want to create the space where then there's visibility to be like, hey, this isn't actually what people want anymore. 
for what a climate job needs to look like, right? And then we're creating the conversation and the transparency and maybe even the accountability to some of these organizations to think about those things, to talk about it. And eventually, once we have more infrastructure, more of the space to support them in doing better at that, right? We're not at that. We're not anywhere near the stage of doing that kind of work. But I would say that we're at least trying to create the beginning steps of a vetting process that we want to be really community oriented. Yeah, and I think kind of with like a marketplace of jobs like that, even if they come in at a really low salary, it's like you're now competing with everybody who's paying a livable wage. Like you're, you're going to have to look at that job board and go, why am I not getting anything? Because you look at your competition and that'll help them understand, oh, okay, this is kind of the standard now or the minimum I need to be at to kind of compete with these other companies. And I think the problem with a lot of the these green jobs is companies are trying to pay you to feel good. And I'm like, no, this is like a very technical industry that saves you and makes you a lot of money. And so no more of these like $30,000 jobs. I'm like, no, this is like 80, 90, like these are engineering finance jobs and you should, you need to pay them as such. 100%, yeah, like you can't, can't be discounting just because the people have the passion, right? That should be a value add. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So have you had any struggles with working in this field, like emotional, mental fatigue, (laughs) the lower pay, like we talked about, you know, having to wear multiple hats? (laughs) You're laughing. So I'm assuming that's a big yes. Oh, the biggest yes of the yeses. Yeah. To do this work is very intense. It's work of a lifetime, right? It's, It's one of those things where it's like, I know I'm doing this the rest of my life. But it's not easy, and it's a commitment, and there are the highs are highs and the lows are really low sometimes. And I think, for me, like, that's why I think maybe as I've gotten older and have gotten a little bit out of the survival mindset when I was younger, I was like, I just got to make this work. And now I'm like, okay, calm down. It's okay now. Mm-hmm. Life's not ending. I'm like hearing this. You're, you're talking straight to me right now. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. you're okay now. Now it's like, now I am actually have the time and the space to think about the impact I'm making because now it's like, I'm just surviving. So now it's like, now I can actually think about what I'm actually passionate about. So hard to do that. So hard to be passionate and stay passionate when you're just trying to keep yourself afloat and pay your bills and be a young person and do all the things of adulting, right? It's like, it feels so impossible sometimes. And I think I'm learning like, as I get older and I've eased more into being comfortable, being uncomfortable in this work, I think I've learned more about like finding tools and trying to find balance and trying to understand what is really important to me in every moment. And knowing that climate work is always going to be there because this work is so pressing, it's so urgent, it's so long-term, that I also have to always check in with myself. I have to like be like, but what's going on with me today? Because if I don't check in with that, I don't know, I'm just not productive. I'm not actually helping anyone. I'm not doing anything that actually is making a difference. It's like, actually, like I'm just internally spiraling. <laughs> And causing, you know, harm to myself, harm to harm to others and things like that. And it's like, you know, as you are in this work, it can be so emotionally and mentally taxing. Reading all the time about really depressing things and realities of what's going on too, right? We can't just like pretend like everything's rosy. Like 
it's really scary. And we have to contend with the, our own eco grief and eco anxiety, right? Every single day. And I think for me, it's, it's been a journey of having to like be really honest about that while not falling so deep into a depressive state to where like I feel immobilized and like can't do anything, right? So for me, it's just been a journey of, how do I explain this? Allowing myself to have seasons for how I act, right? Listening to nature and following how nature does things. So if there's moments where I feel good, I feel good. And I focus on that. I channel my energy and I'm like, okay, this means this is probably a high energy moment. So I want to fully maximize that and go all in because I don't know how long this is going to last. And then I watched this TikTok the other day and this girl talks about having her season of rotting. (laughs) Her rotting era. And I... And it was so deep. I mean, I loved it so much. I wish I could shout out her handle. It was like on my For You page. I can't remember. But talked about like having a rotting era where you're like allowing yourself the ability to just like know that you were in so much sadness and grief and not feeling your best and kind of feeling ashamed of yourself even and wishing you could do more. And it's important we embrace that too, right? Because that's all a part of the human experience. I, as much as I'm someone who's so big on self-development, having a positive mindset, that can create so much guilt to be that way all the time too, right? You have to like be willing to be like, let me be sad, let me rest, let me, let me feel my feelings. And I think I've learned that that's really, really important equally to be able to do this work. So. I, and that's how you come up with solutions. That's how you actually come up with solutions, right? You have to be in that era of being like, what the heck is going on to being like, actually, like, what could I do? And I don't, I think I actually find more of that when I'm in my rot phase than when I'm doing good, to be honest with you. So, is it, You just kind of have to grow through the pain. You have to feel it. To, to know that something needs to change because if it's all rosy all the time, then you're like, well, what needs to change? You know, everything's great and it's just not. Yeah. And I always find that I, I have this bad habit of just trying to like work hard 24-7. I think it's a server habit of I'm just used to sprinting just for full straight hours. But I'm like, no, no, no. A lot of this work is creative and a lot of your creativity comes from doing mindless tasks or doing nothing just sitting rotting yeah and so i like i found that if i i because i'll get kind of stressed out and be like go 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 and i'm like wait yes. we're not being productive stop go read go for a walk play video games do whatever and then i just find that as my mind is sitting passively all of a sudden 30 solutions come to the front of my brain and now all that work that i was just grinding on for no reason I can do in 30 minutes and do it so much better than I could before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The brain, brain works in mysterious ways. So you're also a writer and I loved your stuff. And so in both that, as well as some of your other interviews, you talk a lot about the lack of black and brown faces with the environmental world. And this is something that Taylor and I obviously painfully white (laughs) (laughs) talk about a lot. We see it studying sustainability so can you talk about how that impacted you as a person, perhaps how that inspired you to create this whole platform and everything that you do? Yeah, like I 
you said, I think there is a lot of like environmental writers out there of color, but again, like they don't get the same kind of press as some of, yeah, like white writers or white speakers. And I think it's like important to understand that that inequity or lack of representation, because it's like, you know, if we're going to be talking about the climate crisis, but yet we're not hearing from the voices impacted the most or seeing those kind of stories or faces represented, then people aren't going to see themselves in that work. They're not going to see themselves as part of the story of trying to address these issues, right? So we have to be really honest about that. And yeah, I always like to, to talk about environmental issues and even solutions, but with a critical lens of thinking about equity and diversity and inclusion, because even some environmental solutions aren't necessarily centering communities at the forefront. I know there's like an article about zero waste stores and BIPOC people were the original zero waste stewards of the land, always learning how to repurpose. That's how I grew up. And now we have these zero waste stores charging tons of money for products, right? And at the same time though, like we, so, so that it's like, we have to talk about like, you know, someone who is just trying to get by on ends meet, we want them to reduce their plastic waste, but then you're asking them to pay so much money for a product or you're asking them to do certain things that are trendy but ultimately just benefit privileged people right and i think as i've gotten older i i realize a lot of environmental issues are definitely a race issue but even more so a class issue for sure because when we're even talking about transitioning industries and talking about getting people to work on climate, you have to have those opportunities available. You have to be able to give them a good paying job. You have to understand that if we're transitioning people out of extractive industries like the fossil fuel industry, there needs to be a job waiting at the end of the tunnel, right, of that transition. Otherwise, no one's going to have buy-in for that. They're going to think you're, I mean, it's not even think, like you are going to be stealing their stability, right? And so I think that's the task for environmentalists or people in this space to be building climate solutions or environmental solutions that has extra benefits, extra incentives added onto it, right? Shouldn't be taking away from people's lived experiences. It should be making it better and more beneficial. And unfortunately with that, there is again a cost benefit analysis where there is gonna be this in-between time where there, things are gonna have to be sacrificed, right? Again, how are you gonna get buy-in from people to make those sacrifices? That's the thing that remains to be seen, right? Like there has to be a plan for that. And I find all of that really interesting because that's at the root of it is is thinking about everything through the lens of people who are the most impacted by these issues, I think is very critical. And yeah, there's so many environmental justice fights happening across the country right now from communities in Cancer Alley in Louisiana fighting against petrochemical plants right now to people all across the country right now dealing with major extreme heat waves and trying to figure out like what does it look like to build mutual aid programs for people that don't have homes or are incarcerated right as much as it's important to think about our own families we have to think about people that are the most vulnerable in these situations and i think a lot of times those people are just viewed as like inevitable externalities of a very broken system and i think that that's really messed up and it's not okay and I think my family is from the Philippines and there's so many people 
in America in the melting pot who come from families that are part of diasporas that are on the front lines of the climate crisis. And it's important that we bring those stories up on how that makes us feel and how we're talking about it. Because if we don't, then who is? And how are resources going to be allocated properly if we're not telling those stories? Very well said. So you mentioned environmental justice. I think another big word in there is intersectionality. Can you expand a little more on what those terms mean and how that really, I already kind of hit on it, but like how that applies to this green movement that is hopefully ever growing? Yeah, I mean, intersectionality comes from Kimberly Crenshaw and it's this idea that there's these overlapping and interdependent systems of discrimination and oppression that can exist all at once. And so I think, again, it, it goes back to what I was talking about, that like if we're talking about environmental justice, It is an intersectional issue of race, class, gender, physical ability, mental ability, socioeconomic status, all these things. I think it's understanding that all of those layers of an identity and a community group can either increase your susceptibility to environmental injustices or not. And I recommend people check out EPA's environmental justice screening tool. It's a tool where you can actually look up and see based on your zip code and your area in the country to see like what environmental injustices are happening and to what communities that are nearby you. So you can actually like drag a filter and see by like race or I believe by economic status and then also just like, and then you cross reference that with like exposure to certain air pollutants like NOx and SOx and all those different things, you'll see that there's an overlap between communities that have been historically disenfranchised, especially black and brown communities and environmental pollutants. So I think in this work, we have to connect the dots for people in those ways, because again, like that's how we're going to understand how communities need to be recognized in the fights that they're pushing forward and to make sure that we're getting people those resources because so many environmental justice organizations are underfunded, under-resourced, underrepresented in this work. And I think we need to re-put an emphasis on those issues for sure. That's what I try to do. Are there any environmental justice organizations that you know of that you like to work with or have worked with or just want to give a shout out to? Yeah, I mean, I'd really love to shout out, shout out We Act for Environmental Justice in New York. They do really incredible work in the environmental justice space. I'd like to shout out also Black Millennials for Flint, Clean Water for Newark, National Clean Water Collective. And then I want to make sure I get the name of Louisiana Bucket Brigade is one of the big organizations that's currently fighting against petrochemical plant right now in Louisiana and Cancer Alley. Cool. So one thing that I've always thought about is how can people in the environmental space and the environmental community do a better job at being more inclusive? It's kind of a big question. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty big question. I think it's really important that like to be inclusive, it's not just about bringing people into a room. It's about understanding the intention on why you're bringing people in. I think it's important to recognize what voices are and aren't being represented in a space. And again, like you have to be like, what is the intention or the goal behind maybe the event you're putting on, the panel you're hosting, workshop you're doing, and being like, okay, like maybe I should then observe who is and who isn't included 
in that space, if that was my intention, who's missing or what's missing from this, right? I think that's how you start understanding inclusivity. And then I would say making opportunities where like you're not expecting people to do free labor, I think is really important. I think as much as volunteering is great, and I think there is a space and a time for that, and that's good too. I think if you're looking for trying to create an organization or a space, like trying to find funding opportunities to make sure people feel valued for their time. Again, I just think thinking in reciprocity is really important. And I think funding and being able to pay people is like an important part of that as much as possible. If you can't do that, I get it. Again, we're all in the struggle together. But even if it's not funding, right, maybe it's introductions. Maybe it's you also volunteering your time to help them out with whatever they need, right? right? It doesn't always have to be money. I think it's just about reciprocity. I think reciprocity creates the conditions for inclusivity. Having that kind of mindset shows that you're not just thinking about yourself and what you're getting out of people. You're really valuing them, understanding and having an intention behind why you're having them be a part of it and making sure that you're always following through on that intention through and through. Yeah, I feel like that follow-through part is super important because I feel like there can be a lot of invitations into a room, but then there isn't much listening. It's like they're here, but like if we're not listening to them at the same time, then the, what was the point of that invitation, you know? Do you have any personal inspirations within the sustainability community? Is there anyone you look up to and maybe has helped you along your journey? Honestly, I just want to shout out my community online. I'm a part of a collective of content creators. We're called EcoTalk, and we're all environmental content creators. And honestly, like, they have given me such, like, a home and a space for my work to thrive because we're all people that are trying to use digital media tools to educate and inspire people to take action in this way. And I think that that has been really important in my journey, and so they all really inspire me because they're all kind of doing what I'm doing in their own way. And it's really helped me understand what could be possible in the digital landscape and what impact we can have to make change happen. And I think the other content creators I've gotten to work with and be in the space with have really inspired me. But I would also say like all the environmental justice elders in the space, uh, Robert Buller, Lucetta Taylor, I would say, like, there's so many in my brain. This is what always happens. I, I would say people that have, like, paved the path. And then I would honestly say, I don't know, I, I would also bring up, like, the Philippine movement for climate justice. Mitzi Tan is an incredible youth activist in the Philippines, and she's a good friend of mine as well. And I would say that her and other Filipino youth activists on the ground in the Philippines and abroad are really fighting to bring that voice to the front lines, uh, about the front lines of the climate crisis to big public forums in the UN and things of that sort. And so, yeah, just wanted to shout out them too. There's so many people that inspire me every single day, but those are just some of them. Very cool. That's awesome. And I also want to point out you being one of the bigger inspirations as well. Do you want to talk about working, like being a teacher, being a professor at... Berkeley and what has that experience been like for you? Because that's, I mean, you're pretty young. So to be doing something like that's really cool. Yeah, I miss it a lot. I stopped teaching last year, but it was a wild time because it was during the pandemic. And mm. oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so I was mostly teaching during the pandemic, and so most of my teaching experience was virtual. So I only got to meet my students for like one month in person at the very beginning, literally before the pandemic started, right? Mm. And lockdown and all that stuff. And I think it was really cool because I got to learn, I got to learn how to like create structure and to really think through, you know, projects and like people's ideas and like how to delegate and project manage. I think honestly, like that class taught me how to become a manager because I never really (laughs) took any, I didn't go to business school. So I think teaching that class really set me up for success to be able to manage teams because teaching kind of is like project management in a lot of ways where you're checking in with people, you're trying to guide their progress, you're inspiring them to want to grow and to learn through different processes. And so I would say teaching taught me a lot about how to work with a lot of different types of personalities how to make people feel supported, how to follow up with them on things. Yeah, so I would just say, like, teaching made me more confident now in building a company and an organization that has a social impact lens on it because the class was also focused on that. It was the perfect balance between social impact, marketing, and entrepreneurship. And now, like, that's a big part of, you know, what we're doing at Green Jobs Board, too, so... Yeah, it all kind of blended together. Again, it was part of those building blocks that you don't know where it's going to lead to, but you keep following your passion, and then you're like, oh, wow, I'm here. And you realize it all kind of works out. So Exactly, because I feel like it's so easy to listen to these famous people on podcasts and people who are so successful and see them on LinkedIn and be like, oh, my God, they're just destined for greatness. But it's been awesome getting to talk to amazing people like you and like other people we've had on the podcast. And it's like, oh, their journey was rocky. And they didn't know exactly where they were going. But to go back to your example with the Green Jobs Board, it's you just put it out as a social media post once. And it's like, oh, that's going. Oh, it keeps going. And then it just builds into this whole thing that now it's part-time job. And not only that, but like you're employing people as well to work on this. Yeah, no, I'm an employer, right? Which is crazy. It's like been a whole 360. Like I went from not finding a job to now I employ people, right? So it's... It's, it's pretty crazy. How much of a, like, a mind twist is that? <laughs> the fact that this has all happened within my 20s has been absolutely <laughs> insane, for sure. It's been like, what the heck is going on half the time? Yeah, it's, it's cool. It's cool. It's, like, very much, like, you know, just knowing about that, like, this is, this is the position I've been put in. I have the privilege and the ability to be in the place I'm in, and I'm going to use every resource and tool I can to to take advantage of that and fully make the impact I'm trying to make. So, yeah. That's awesome. So we've already mentioned a couple of the places, but do you want to uh, let people know where they can find your work and your other resources that you've created? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people can check out all of my content at browngirlgreen.com. You can follow me, browngirlgreen, on Instagram, Twitter, Threads. Christy Drubman on LinkedIn and then with Green Jobs Board you can follow Green Jobs Board at Green Jobs Board and check out our new website at greenjobsboard.us whenever this podcast gets released it will be out in the world so yeah awesome thank you so much for coming on yeah it was really awesome talking to you amazing thank you all so much